What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching as the case may be. Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things. We contemplate them. We turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28. Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We are not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about God speaking to us. Does God reveal things to Christians individually? Does God reveal things to anyone individually? And this really gets down to the question of, is what we have in the Bible sufficient to take us to eternity? And I'm going to spoil this right off the bat with a verse from Acts chapter 20. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 20 before we before we go any farther, I believe it's like verse, I don't know, 32 or so. That's it, Acts 20, 32. Listen to what Paul says to these elders of Ephesus while they're in Miletus seeing him off as he's leaving to go to Jerusalem. He says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Folks, Paul commended these people to the word of God, to, excuse me, let me, let me read it again, uh, to God and the word of his grace. Is the word sufficient enough? Is the word of grace sufficient enough to build us up and give us an inheritance? Paul seemed to think, yes. We don't need any more other than Scripture. We don't need any more other than God's word. Let's say that God's, it, it, was, it was incontrovertible. Let's say that God still spake to people today directly, that people were still able to do miracles. There were still folks raising folk from the dead. There were still people prophesying and speaking in tongues. I don't need any of that to get to heaven because I have the gospel. I have the Bible. We have Christ brings a sword. Not if you believe you can lose your salvation. I am going to be pretty blunt here. You, Christ brings a sword, have no leg to stand on. You think that I can rebel against God, shake my fist against the heavens, and declare my hatred unto him, and bow down and kiss the feet of Satan, and if I'm saved before I do that, I'll still go to heaven. If you don't believe that, deny it right now. Because I can go back on the other videos and I can take the screenshots of where I put your comments up on the screen whenever you were saying that a person who was once saved can actually hate God and continue to be saved. A person who hates, who, who is once saved can actually stop believing in God and that person can still be saved. That flies in the face of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Because in order to have faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And in order to have faith, you got to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And you say that if I believe in God 
and I obey the gospel and I'm delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son, then I can stop believing in God. And now I can still be considered to be saved, even though I am in direct violation of Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, you are blaspheming God right now. You're saying he doesn't have grace for the sinner. You are a liar, a bigot, and you will no longer be allowed to comment because you are, well, you're lying about what I'm saying right there. You're blaspheming God right now for saying he doesn't have grace on the center. There's a multiplicity of people. Where did I say God doesn't have grace for the sinner? According to what you're saying here, we can continue in sin so that grace may abound. Paul says, God forbid. How that we are, how can we that are dead to sin continue any longer therein? The fact is we don't. If we return back to the mire, we're like that swine. All right. So you're done. Block user on YouTube. Now it says I'm a weak man. All right. Good deal. I'm going to hide this message. Yeah. So now that we've got that done, weak man, what a fool. Folks, as we get into the meat of our podcast, what we're going to talk about today, I want to turn your attention to the bottom left of the screen. I want you to consider contacting Lindsay Dotson, Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. Are you part of a church congregation or any other institution seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches or other institutions that she sees fit. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today for more details. That's the preferred method, by the way. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate both far and wide. Contact Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today. Folks, it's amazing how many people we got in the live stream. Thank you so much for tuning in. I pray that you like, subscribe, and share. Don't forget to do that. Uh, consider following us on Twitter or X, formerly known as Twitter. But the main thing you can do right now is go to Christianity Now Streams on YouTube and subscribe and share the live stream, and then go to Substack and sign up for a free subscription on Substack. We put out an article a day. Uh, good morning. Please uh, repost on Facebook. Thank you very much. What's up? Well, what's up, Sandra Olmstead? It's good to see you. And good morning, Terry Crooks. And I think that's all the chat is allowing me to see at the moment. Rusty Kirby. Uh, good morning, uh, 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 Reginald Perry, Brandon Wild, and we have Facebook user. And I don't know who you are, but that's fine. You ain't got to let us know. But thank you for tuning in. All right. Remember, Substack, free subscription. Follow us on Twitter or X, a.k.a. Twitter, or formerly known as Twitter. Now, where am I going with this? Oh, yeah. Does the Lord speak to us today? Now, listen, I am, it, it, is, it is just such a wonderful thing that people have a desire to communicate with God. Miss him alone. Good to see you. Open the Bible and read it if you want to talk to God. That, that's really the question on the table. Is the scriptures enough? And I just read Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Um, Paul commended those elders to God and the word of his grace. 
God delivered the word of grace. <laughs> the oldest man among your listeners is listening. Oh, Ted Knight. Man, Ted, how, how, I hope you're doing okay down there with this crazy cold weather. I was thinking about you the other day because of that. Um, most most folks are not used to dealing with cold weather. Ayo Kunle, good morning. Good morning, Ayo Kunle. Good to see you. All right. Now, I don't even know where to start with this first. Um, I guess we could start with, well, we could start with Hebrews chapter 1. And, and let's notice something there from the grammar. Uh, now, th this isn't the strongest argument, but this is an argument, okay? So like I said, I fully, if you're listening to this and you think that God speaks directly to you, this isn't going to be the piece of keystone information that you're needing to convince you otherwise. But this ought to, this, this ought to be a weight in the bucket that you have to carry around in order to believe that doctrine. So listen, God, who at sundry time and in diverse manners spake past tense in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken. Well, is that a split? And did the Holy Spirit split the infinitive there? Anyway, hath spoken. That's past tense, folks. In these last days, the last days of what? I am fully convinced that this is the last days of the Jewish dispensation of time. God spake unto the children of Israel by Jesus Christ, his son. And it is finished. It is spoken. In other words, he's not speaking. He spoke on. So even in the first century, once the apostles were guided into all truth, John 14, 26, I believe, then there was no more speaking. It was done. Revelation was completed. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there's a turn of phrase in there that, that, that quotes Isaiah little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept. The idea is, what Paul is trying to convey, there's going to be no more piecemeal revelation. In the, in the long ago, under the Jewish dispensation of time, revelation was given little by little, line upon line, and, and strangers that spoke another language was going to be given revelation as well. And that's not the way it's going to be in the New Testament that Paul says that's not the way it is now. You are miles ahead in privilege, O church of Corinth, because you don't have little by little line upon line as other churches do. You have a representation of all nine spiritual gifts. And so you have basically a completeness that other congregations haven't attained. And all revelation that you need is already in the earth. It just needs to be spoken by the prophets and you need to listen. Well, once that which is perfect is come first Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll talk about that. That's our completed canon of scripture, the teleos. Then there, there will be no more prophecy whatsoever. There'll be no more tongues, no more miracles, no more prophecy. Why? Because we won't need it anymore. In other words, if, if somebody wants to come up here to Riverview and they say, Hey, I know y'all are teaching this, this gospel that Jesus died and was raised the third day and ascended into heaven days later, and the Holy Spirit descended 
uh, cloven tongues like as the fire and guided the apostles into all truth. And you worship this way and you teach obeying the gospel this way. But I have a word from the Lord and the word of the Lord says that anybody who does 25 jumping jacks shall be saved. And y'all are teaching he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But now it's jumping jacks. Well, even if he's able to do a miracle to prove what he's saying, we know that we have the completed canon of scripture and God's not going to go against his word. He cannot go against his word. So then if somebody claims to have a revelation from God, if it says anything different from the Bible, they're lying. It's not from God. Or if it says the same thing as the Bible, then what good is it? It's superfluous and God is not a superfluous being. So what's the point? But the fact of the matter is we're going to show how that revelation has ended. And I think right here is a good place to start. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now, we can lick our, nope, we can lick our finger and turn right. Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter. Let's go to Second Peter and notice something. All right? Now, remember, somebody might say, well, Tony, you say that the apostles were guided into all truth on the day of Pentecost. Yes, I do. In fact, the Bible says that in my studied opinion. But we're going to poke that a little bit. Does it pass muster? Well, listen to this. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you want a good motif. Folks, let me tell you something. If you're looking for something, if you ever want to preach, how in the world do we get grace and peace? And how is it multiplied unto us? Not through divine revelation, not through miraculous means, not through miraculous endowment of the Holy Spirit, not even through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Through the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, this is going to be hard for some of us to hear, but the path to heaven is an academic path. It's told and not felt. It's learned and not felt. Ibram Charles, it's good to see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. God bless you. So I'm not sitting around waiting on some kind of spiritual movement. I'm not sitting in the pew waiting for the Holy Spirit to slap me in the face so I run to the mourner's bench. That, that's what happened during the great revival of Cane Creek so long ago in the history of our United States. Barton W. Stone and those people at that great Cane Creek revival, they come to this realization. A man is, is the, 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 the onus upon the onus is upon the, the, the person desiring to be right with God to make the necessary professions and changes in his life. In other words, God put the message out there and you have to obey the message. That means you have to have an academic interaction with God, an intellectual interaction with God. There's an intellectual exchange. We'll take Ted Knight as the oldest among our, uh, our listeners here. If, if I want to be 
in, in Ted Knight's favor. And I do, I do want to be in his favor. I care what he thinks. There's, you know, I, there, there's a, there, I do in spite of sometimes I'll, I'll be very bold and hyperbolic and I'll speak generally. Uh, but it is generally true that I don't order myself based on what other people think. And I don't order my ministry and my life based on what other people think. Uh, it would be the height of insanity and arrogance and narcissism not to not to care what anybody thinks. And there are people whom I care greatly what they think. You know, Aaron Dotson is one of them. Ted Knight is one of them. Barry O'Dell is one of them. My wife is one of them. You know, there's people here that that I care greatly what they think. So I'm going to use Ted Knight. If I want to be in Ted Knight's good graces, I'm going to submit myself to a set of rules of Ted Knight's deciding. And we're going to have kind of that exchange. Now, with, with me and Ted Knight, it would be somewhat of a negotiation. You know, because Ted Knight may say, well, Tony, if you want to be in my good graces, you have to run five miles a day. And I'm like, brother Ted, I, I, that, that's a bridge too far from me. I'm, you're just going to have to, I'm just going to have to be outside of your good graces. Um, I'll walk, but it's going to have to be something mighty, mighty dangerous chasing me before I take off a running. But you, you get what I'm saying now with God, it's not a negotiation. We don't, we don't go to God and negotiate the rules. God, well, the rules have already been negotiated. Y'all, look, this, this is extra. It won't cost you a dime more than you're paying now. A suzerainty covenant is a covenant to the vassal. The covenant under the law of Moses was a suzerainty covenant. There was no human representation in that covenant. It was all one-sided. God said, this is it. This is how it's going to be. But under the new covenant, the reason why it's a new covenant and a better covenant built on better promises is because we had a mediator that could represent the side of humanity and our representative, Jesus Christ, negotiated with God the Father the rules of the new covenant. That's why the new covenant is better. So anyway, you understand grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want grace and peace and all of that that entails, you have to have an intellectual exchange with God. God has to communicate to you. You have to assimilate that communication and you need to apply it to your everyday walks of life. Now, Verse three, according as his divine power hath given unto us, how many things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the what? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding and great and precious promises that by these you may be made partakers of the divine nature. We have to have an intellectual exchange with God through knowledge. And by then, by that exchange of knowledge, we are made partakers of the divine nature through the promises that God gives us. In other words, we obey the gospel. We are ready to have 
um, Jesus come at the last day and he's coming back for us. Remember the illustration with the burning building. We're climbing the stairs and we, whenever we obey the gospel and we're delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom, the domain of God's dear son, that's whenever we bust out onto the roof and we start breathing that fresh air. We're still waiting on the helicopter. We're still waiting on Jesus. We got to remain where we are. But if we go back down in the roof, we're damned. We're down in the building, we're damned because we're going to miss the helicopter. But if we remain faithful, if we remain in that area that's marked off by boundaries, then we'll we'll be we'll be where we're supposed to be when the helicopter comes. And in the illustration, Jesus is the helicopter. If God speaks to one person directly, He is responsible to speak to every person directly. And he hasn't spoke to me yet. That's it. He ain't, he ain't spoke to me directly either. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, now this is, I'm not making fun and I'm not being, well, just let me say this. If you are listening to this and you think that there are spirits, otherworldly beings speaking to you and you hear their voice and you conversate with them, you need to go, the, the very first thing you need to do is you need to go to a mental health professional that's able to assign medicines and you need to, you need to get that taken care of because that is diagnostically relevant to a plethora of mental ailments. And that's all I'm going to say. All right. So. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, I, I, I know this, but I'm going to see what Google says. Are you all okay with that? Does it bother you that I'm going to see what Google says? When was the date of the writing of Second Peter? Yeah, Wikipedia. And look, this ain't deep scholarly research. But I wanted to make sure I was close. Taken literally, it would have been written between 65 to 68 AD. All right? So, all, everything that pertained to life and godliness was revealed before 68 AD at the latest. Now, I don't know about you, but depending on your particular viewpoint of whenever the book of revelation was written and the book of first, second, third John was written. There were books that were written all the way up to the, the end of the first century. So what's the deal pickle? All things that pertain to life and godliness was already in the world. It was already revealed. It was already given unto us through the knowledge of him that called it the glory and virtue. So all truth was revealed, and then now that it's in the world, it needs to be disseminated through these inspired people, these prophets. Now, there's two ways to prophesy. There's forth-telling, which is telling forth the will of God. So basically, there's a downloaded message into your brain, and you tell forth what that message is. Then there's foretelling. That means there's a downloaded message into your brain and you tell and you foretell the future. So you tell 
future events before they're going to happen. Isaiah 53 is a, is an example of foretelling, uh, Galatians chapter uh, Galatians, rather the book of Galatians is an example of forth telling. All right. But you need inspiration for both of them. Okay. Uh, listening to what I can in between the doctors and test in the hospital for, for possible TIA yesterday, Sue Ross, I'm very sorry about that. And, uh, Jason Goldtrap says I'm currently suffering from seasonal depression. It drains me physically, but I have a hope in God that my illness can be overcome via prayer and medicines. Yes. And listen, as strong as prayer is, and as much as your faith in God helps you, please treat your mental illness the way you would treat a physical illness. Go see the professionals to get help. People don't realize they say, well, we need to quit stigmatizing uh, mental health in the church. And, and I think sometimes what they mean by that is if you feel depressed, you just need to pray harder and have more faith in God. I'm like, no, I mean, yes, you do. Everybody that's listening to this probably no, dare I say does need to pray more and have more faith in God, including the person talking. But if you're suffering from depression, if you're suffering from these mental health issues, treat your mental health issues as if you, as if you, as you would your physical issues, you know, go see a professional that can help you. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. And I appreciate the attitude of, I need to have more hope or I have a hope in God and I can overcome my illness with prayer. And, but I like the fact that you put and medicine because we, we are not, we are not souls that's that's being transported in a body and and we we are our body our mind our soul and our spirit that's first thessalonians 5 first thessalonians 5 read the chapter you'll find it <laughs> sue ross says well that didn't last long got to go to the next test we'll listen later sue ross good to have you stop by thank you so much incidentally for you folks that really uh like to help promote the content what sue ross did here was amazing when she, she couldn't listen to the whole show but what she did is she joined in the live and she listened as long as she could and she made a couple of comments that's awesome like that's that's that that really helps our boost our our reach so anyway my point is this in the fir- before the first century ended before we had our canon of scripture as it sets now the world had all things that pertain to life and godliness. A lot of people ask me, well, I'll say something like, you know, what, what book chapter and verse in the Bible does it, if you're going to purchase a car, what book chapter and verse in the Bible, does it tell you which car to purchase? And of course, you know, well, no, it doesn't. The cars weren't invented. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But go to Matthew chapter six and read the end of that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So I'm going to purchase a vehicle. I don't need to purchase a vehicle that's going to rob from me my ability to seek first the kingdom of God. So I can purchase a Cadillac with a $1,200 a month payment, or I can purchase a Honda Accord with a $600 a month payment. I'd rather not have a payment at all, but I do need a car. I can manage my life and, and my, my, my secular life 
and my spiritual life, I can man, I can, I can make that balance work much better at $600 a month. If I, if it's $1,200 a month, it's going to be awful hard for me to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to be seeking first the almighty dollar to pay for this car that I'm driving. So in that, in that case, the Bible teaches us to purchase the Honda Accord. Now, if, if you can afford a $1,200 a month car payment and still seek first the kingdom of God, God bless you. Get her done. I'm happy for you. I'd love to see all my brethren driving nice, shiny Cadillacs that are gold-plated if that's what they want. Hello, David James Stafford. It's good to see you, my man. Hope things are going well for you, brother. All right. Where to go next? There's so many places to go. So we, we've established that all truth was given in the first century. So that means we don't need anything other than what's been revealed. Now we got to figure out, was it written down? Okay. Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm going to make a point from this. And I promise we're going to get to this idea, does God speak to people today? In other words, is there direct revelation from God today? And and I'm, I think I think by the end of this, even if you don't agree with me 100%, you have to at least agree that if it is the case that God reveals things directly, that if God reveals something directly to someone that causes them to act or think contrary to what's already been revealed, then, then that's not God revealing anything. And if they're, if, if they're saying, well, God has revealed something to me and that is already found in Scripture, then that's not God revealing to them because God is not superfluous. That there is such a thing as the parsimony of God. All right, I, I like this reading, so I'm, I'm going to read. It's, I'm going to read the part about love, and I love my King James version. So I'm not going to, but I'm not going to use charity. I'm going to use love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinking cymbal. I'm a one note wonder, folks. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Love doth not behave, un behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Love never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, and I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through the glass darkly, but then face to face. 
and now I know in part. But then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. You ever wondered why now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest is love? This has nothing to do with the topic at hand, but I'm going to tell it. Whenever Jesus returns one fine day, I hope it, I hope it happens within my lifetime. But whether it happens within my lifetime or a million billion years after my death, faith and hope will cease on that day because faith will be fulfilled and hope will be realized. But the remaining will be love, and love will last throughout all eternity. When I was a kid at Madison Church of Christ in Nashville, there was a group of retired, skilled men called Saturday Samaritans. Each week, these men would go to the houses of widows and orphans and the poor and do electric work, plumbing, yard maintenance. Sorry, I had to kick her into four-wheel drive. Uh, yard maintenance, etc. Their motto was dealers in faith, hope, and charity. That wouldn't be, I mean, I'm, I'm not typically a, a big fan of quote unquote programs, but if you're going to have a program, that would be a program to have right there. All right. So what's this, what, 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 do, what does first Corinthians 13 have to do with the price of eggs in China? Well, I'll tell you. 1 Corinthians 13 is what is called a Pauline parenthetical. It is an excursus from the text. Don't, don't leave the live stream saying that, that Tony Brewer is teaching you can rip chapters from the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. However, the context still makes sense, and the main thesis of the book is still intact. If you take 1 Corinthians chapter 13 out of 1 Corinthians, listen to this. So you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that we were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. In other words, there has to be revelation. All right. Now, Paul makes the case beautifully in chapter 12 that all of these miracles are important. They're all needed, and they all have a particular purpose. But some are more important and more needed than others, or some are not, maybe not, not more important or more needed. Some are more beneficial to the body than others. For instance, speaking in tongues is for unbelievers. Prophecy edifies the church. So prophecy is more beneficial to the local congregation. All right. Now he goes on verse 28 of chapter 12. And God had set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After all that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps governments, diversities of tongues are all apostles are all prophets are all teachers are all workers of miracles. Well, the answer is no. Have all the gift of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. 
but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Follow after love. And that's 14.1. So love is the better way. So follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. How, how be it in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So the idea is Paul's trying to tell them, look, spiritual gifts is good. You need to desire them. You need to follow after love, but desire if you want a spiritual gift, desire prophecy, because prophecy edifies the church. Now, let's hone in on 1 Corinthians 13. Paul is telling us what love is, and he's trying to explain that when it compared to actions of love, going and taking care of the fatherless and the widows, doing electric work, uh, yard maintenance, plumbing, and stuff like that, well, that's practicing pure religion undefiled before God and the Father. Yes, so poetic, sorry, let me read. Your comment excited me, David. Let me read it first and then comment. Charity is good in one sense in the KJV because it implies the giving or sacrificial love that Paul described. Yes, poetically, I think the word love works better, but I think theologically, doctrinally, the word charity is better. Because in English, the word love is so broad. Like, hey, David Stafford, I love you. Be you warmed and filled. Go with God. Man, I tell you, that David Stafford, he was bleeding out of the hole in his neck. I hope he finds somebody that can help him. I love you, David. You see what I mean? So I, I in, in poetically, love is like really good. But charity, theologically, doctrinally is better. Because, again, it, it, it rightly aligns with pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father. All right. So that's what Paul's saying. Look, these, these acts of charity, these acts of love, be, being known for charitable actions, it's much better. Because, and here, here's what it is, you're never going to fail. and You're always going to be able to, to perform charity. But whether there be prophecies, they're going to fail. And I here's what I used to think, folks. And I still could, I could be wrong. I could be convinced otherwise. But because of my studies in Daniel, specifically the 70 weeks, I believe that there was a point in time where prophecy, tongues, and miraculous knowledge did not, taper off and gradually come out of the world. I believe that there was a point in time where one day you could prophesy, one day you had miraculous knowledge, one day you were able to speak in tongues, and then something happened, and then you couldn't. In other words, they weren't just going to fade away. They just stopped. And I believe that was with the destruction of Jerusalem. I'm not going to have a falling out with anyone over that. I'm not going to, I'm probably not even going to have a real passion and argument over that, but that's, that's, that's what I have come to believe. 
And if it means anything to you, I can line up some really big name scholars that agree with me. That's actually rather narcissistic, isn't it? I can line up some really big name scholars that believe the same thing I believe with whom I agree. They don't even know I'm alive. And then there are some, some big name preeminent brothers in the past who believe that the age of miracles ended abruptly with AD 70. However, and th- I hope this isn't too confusing. The point that I'm going to make today is that it is going to be from the perspective that the age of miracles did have to come to an end and it would have ended shortly after the turn of the first century. So anything after the turn of the first century, by definition, could not be inspired. So there are no writings or anything like that after the turn of the first century could be inspired. So that gets all these apocryphal books, such as the the conversations with Jesus, like the gospel of of. of of Matthew or the gospel of, uh, I think there's one, the gospel of Titus, the gospel of Timothy, the gospel of Peter. There's all these, they're, they're, they're even considered pseudepigraphal there. So there's apocryphal books and you can, in fact, I've got a couple of copies of the Bible with the apocrypha in it, but there are pseudepigraphal books, which literally pseudepigraphal just means they're not true. And why is it? Because they can date them after the first century. And they can de- they're, they're, they were written after, by necessity, by default, the canon of Scripture was closed. Okay? Now, so charity never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall pass away. Now, verse 9 and following is the key. This is Paul's explanation. Because right now we know in part and we prophesy in part. I have used this illustration for years. Some people, when I use this illustration, they say, Tony, you're so amazing. How can you come up with such good illustrations? And then I've had one or two say, that's such a stupid and convoluted illustration. I wonder how you're even considered to be a Bible teacher. So I'm going to give you the illustration. And if you come up with something better that adequately explains what's going on in the first century, I would be happy to have it. Now, the turn of phrase here, for we prophesy in part, we know in part, that's ek maru. And it's out of these parts, okay? Now, think about a way a ma- the way a man is dressed. He has shoes, socks, pants, and a shirt. I understand he also has underwear. Pretend like the socks and the underwear are lumped into the same category. So shoes, socks, a shirt, and pants. When I'm at home in my house, I go to one location where my entire wardrobe is stored. So I have a, I have a wardrobe. When I open it up, I have hangers with pants and shirts. I have a shelf with my shoes. I have a drawer with my socks and underwear, shoes, socks, pants, and a shirt Four shoes, socks, pants, shirt. They're all in one location. 
So I go to one complete, full, whole unit, and I get dressed out of, so I'm outfitted to go into town from one location because it's a complete unit. Ek Maru, which would be out of the parts. So when I go on vacation, I have a bag. I have a bag for my shoes. I have a bag for my socks. I have a bag for my pants and I have a bag for my shirts. And so when I'm on vacation and I get dressed, I go to the bag that has my socks. I put them on. Then I go to another bag and out of that bag, I put my pants and out of another bag, I put my shirt and out of another bag, I take my shoes. So I'm getting dressed out of those parts. Okay. In the first century, Christians operated out of parts. So how did they prove that God, that the message they were speaking was true? They couldn't go to the Bible and use logic and, and evidences and internal evidence. They had to have that miraculous. So it's out of the miraculous part that they proved that their word was true. Well, how did they know how to perform liturgical service? They had to go out of the part of knowledge. How did they know what was right morally or what was God's will for a particular instance? Well, they couldn't go to the scriptures. They had to go, they had to function out of the part of prophecy. So they either had to get a foretelling or a forthtelling from God. Maybe some of you have a much better illustration than that. I used to have a, a little tile that I made. There are nine spiritual gifts elucidated in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and there are nine parts out of which the church functioned. Now, we function out of the whole, out of the teleos, out of that which is perfect, out of the Bible. So that's what Paul is speaking of when he says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is complete, that which is teleos, that which is come in its fullness, then that which is in part shall be done away. So whenever we have our completed canon of Scripture, that's what Paul is talking about, then the parts shall be done away with. In other words, there'll be no tongues, there'll be no prophecy, there'll be no miraculous knowledge, no miraculous faith, no miraculous healings, no discernment, no, no nothing because we'll all have, we'll all be fully equipped, thoroughly furnished into all good works by the completed canon of scripture. Let me know how, how good or bad that illustration was. It, it may be so convoluted. It's pathetic and I don't need to use it. All right. Verse 11 of first Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, that was during the age of miracles, folks. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. The church was needing to grow up. Thank you very much, Facebook user. Thank you very much, Diana Harden. I'm glad it makes sense. It, didn't, it don't make sense to everybody, and sometimes my brain works funny. Something that makes perfect sense to me, I don't communicate very well. So 
whenever the church grows up into the fullness and the stature of Christ, that's whenever revelation, that's whenever, excuse me, uh, the canon of scripture is closed because these things are done away with. Because, and this is another preposition of explanation, verse 12, because, for, now, during the age of miracles, remember, this is from the perspective of Paul. Paul is saying, now we see through a glass, a mirror, but it's fuzzy, it's darkly, it doesn't give us a full picture. But then, meaning usually then for us is past tense, like, you know, back then, like I weigh 400 pounds now, but then I weighed 300. So I'm trying to lose a hundred pounds because the doctor says my ideal weight's 300. Okay. And be careful your mental image. I'm six foot two inches tall. So although I look like a rather portly individual, one of one of the one of the biggest curses is I carry my weight so well that it doesn't debilitate me, and so I don't feel the urgency to get this hundred pounds off. But I need to get this hundred pounds off anyway. Um, so now we see through a glass darkly, but whenever that which is perfect has come, we're going to see face to face. All right. Now, even you're looking at me with this wonderful video camera. But even so, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not the same as seeing me face to face. As good as it is, it's still not the same as seeing me face to face. That's what Paul is saying. So thank you, Gold Trap. I, I, I'm not superstitious, but knock on wood, I'm heading in the right direction. I'm down some pounds and it, it's just slow going. I mean, it's, it's, I can't remember who said it's much easier to put it on and to put it off. I wish we was like horses. You can take a horse and you can, you can get a horse that's been neglected and he's a little bit hippish and you can, you can round him out and put a hundred pounds of grain on him or put a hundred pounds of, of muscle and fat on him, but it takes a year. And then if he gets sick with the flu and comes off his feed for a week, he seems like he loses that hundred pounds in a week that it took you 52 weeks to put on him. Well, I, I kind of wish humans were like that in a way, you know, a good, a good dose of the flu would get me down to where I need to be. I shouldn't, shouldn't beg for trouble. Should I anyhow? All right. Now I know in part, but then that's when that, which is perfect has come. Shall I know even also as I am known? In other words, there will be no barrier to the knowledge. There will be no barrier to the being known. And now by the faith, open charity, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. All right, let's go to the book of Acts and let's notice something. When did the age of miracles cease? Well, Acts chapter 8, listen to this. Um, I'm going to start in verse 13 because this is important. Acts 8, 13. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. 
Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Why? These are apostles. They have a particular, special, unique to them ability. What was that? Well, I'm glad you asked. We'll continue to read. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost were given, he offered them money. Now, you may be thinking, well, what exactly did he want, Tony? Again, I'm glad you ask. He wanted to be just like the apostles. He was used to having the preeminence, and he wanted to be the great representative of God. In fact, if you'll go to verse 10, it was to, to Simon, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. He wanted that back, folks. I mean, from a human standpoint, can you blame him? I can't. It's wrong, but I can't blame him. I get it. So he says, Simon says to Peter and them, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this manner, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art altogether in the bond of bitterness and in the or the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me, that none of these things which have spoken uh, come upon me. And when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Okay. What's that got to do with the sub subject at hand? Folks, the ability to do miracles was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, without which there was no ability to do miracles. Now you're thinking, well, Tony, I don't get it. Romans or, or in Acts chapter eight, that's not that's not um, that's not definitive. Well, let's go to Romans chapter one. Why is it that Paul was so bent on coming to Rome? Well, listen to this. Um, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, and called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ to all that are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these people were Christians, and evidently they were already a church well-established. But Paul, listen, verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, 
that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request, if by any means now, at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come see you. Now, why did he want to come see them, this well-established, functioning, equipped church? Verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be strengthened. That is, that I may com- that I may be comforted with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul wanted to come to them in person so that he might impart unto them some spiritual gift. Well, the laying on of the hands of an apostle. We see it in Acts chapter 8 when Simon saw that by the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And notice this. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are ye not my are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. What does it mean for the church in Corinth and the Christians to be Paul's seal of apostleship? Why would he say, other people may deny my apostleship, but you cannot because you are the very proof that I'm an apostle? What proof could you offer that you are an apostle? Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Listen to this. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walked in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. What is it that we read of in the New Testament that is special pertaining to apostles that whereby you could actually put on trial and test someone's credibility to see whether or not they're an apostle. Lay hand, I put it on my forehead, doesn't matter. Lay hands on me and give me the ability to do miracles. Impart unto me some spiritual gifts or some spiritual gift. So what that tells me then is with the death of the last apostle, the spiritual gifts came out of the world by default. The canon of scripture was closed by default after the last apostle died. Now, traditionally, if the age, if, 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 if John the apostle was able to lay hands and impart spiritual gifts on people right up until the time he died. And he didn't die until around AD 100. It is very possible in the final days of his life, he could have laid hands on a few 15 year old people and they could have lived to the ripe old age of a hundred. So you, you would have then 
you would have then the ability to do miracles up through potentially up through, you know, 80, what, 85 or so. But, but again, you, you cannot stretch the age of miracles out any farther than that. In fact, uh, there are, but because of what is written at the end of the book of John, I'll read it to you here. Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints staunchly teaches that John the Apostle is alive today. Check this out. Verse 23. Well, let's read 18 of chapter 21. This is, John, this is Jesus talking to Peter. Verily I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, said unto Peter, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Then Peter, turning about and seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, Brandon Wild, a very good question. Let me get that in just a moment. All right. Then Peter, turning about, seeth his seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? And Jesus said, you handle your business and don't worry about him. That's not really what he said. But listen, verse 22, Then Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? You follow me. In other words, don't worry about what's going on with him. What is it to you if I want him to be alive until my second coming? Now, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints latches hold of this and says John the Baptist never died. Incidentally, do you know why they say John the Baptist died? What their greatest proof is? Nowhere in Scripture does it show where he dies, so therefore he didn't die. Anybody in the comment section want to tell me what logical fallacy that employs? Just because the scripture doesn't say that he dies, that means he didn't die. Now, John the Apostle, through inspiration of the Holy Ghost, corrects this. He says in verse 23, he writes rather, Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet... So to the contrary, Jesus said not unto him, ye shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple that te which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, why is it so important for John the Baptist to be alive? Because I mean, John the Apostle to be alive. Because even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints understands that the age of miracles have, has to have ended with the death of the final apostle. They, they know that. And the only way for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to be able to be alive and functioning is if you 
take the age of miracles and you bring it all the way up through till today. All right. Now, Brandon Wilde, could they, the apostles, pass it, that's the ability to do miracles, on? No, no, not they, the apostles. Excuse me. <laughs> let me. Let me do this again proper. Could they, the first century Christians who had the hands of an apostle laid on them, could they pass it on? Well, the answer is no, and I'll tell you why. Number one, because of the text we have in, 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 in Acts chapter 8. If it is the case that anyone who had the hands of an apostle laid on them, that they could pass that ability on, then there would have been nothing for Simon Peter, For excuse me, there would be nothing for Simon the sorcerer to have purchased from Peter because he would have been able to pass it on. Yes, and, and Peter, why can I not English? Philip, as David James Stafford has written, Philip was in Samaria, but Peter and John had to come. And that's a good point. If it is the case that anyone who had the hands of an apostle laid on him to be able to do miracles was able to pass that on, then James and John would, or Peter and John would not have had to come to Samaria. Philip would have just been able to give those people the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Paul would not have had to go to Rome in order to impart some spiritual gift to them. The, the people that were there that had the hands of an apostle laid on, him, on them because there were spiritual gifts present. It just wasn't like Corinth where they had a representation of all nine. I think that's what Paul wanted to do was to elevate the church in Rome to the status of the church or the privilege of the church in Corinth and give the people there a representation of all nine. Now, that is conjecture. That is Tony speaking. That's Tony's commentary. That's not anything I can prove from Scripture. Notice the words, I think, I feel, I believe, that, that Paul wanted to elevate the church in Rome's status of privilege to the level of the status of privilege of the church in Corinth that we know for a fact who had all nine. All right. So all of this, we're in an hour and seven minutes in, all of this to say the canon of Scripture then must be closed. So these apocryphal books that are not in our canon of Scripture, how are, why are they not in the canon of Scripture? Well, because they, most of them, it is very easy to be seen that they were written after the, 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 the first century, after the end of the Age of Miracles. And so, therefore, they can't be scripture. But, for instance, um, think about um, think about the book of Enoch. Why is, let's say, the book of Enoch. Why is the book of Enoch not considered scripture? The book of Enoch was supposedly written a couple of centuries before the, uh, the birth of Christ. So, that, that would, well, Tony, that's well within the age of miracles. And why, why are you saying that's not scripture? Because you had people in the first century who had the gift of discernment. They had the ability to do miracles and the Holy Spirit guided these first century people 
to compile our canon of Scripture. It was not compiled with some council three or four hundred years after the fact. If you'll go do some, if you, if in fact, I've written a couple of articles where I, I, I briefly touched the hymn. Well, Jason, let me get you. It's a, it's a good comment to end on because everything I just said was from the perspective of the late date of the authorship of the book of Revelation. In other words, Revelation was written in 96, 98 AD. Um, it's, it's possible. Um, it's possible that or the, everything I just said is, is written or is, was said from that perspective. I don't necessarily believe that perspective. I believe that revelation was probably written. I don't, I don't think it was written at 70. I think it was written before 70. Um, probably in the mid sixties, it could have been written before first and second Peter, as far as what I'm, what I'm understanding. In fact, uh, Drew Leonard has done a lot of scholarly work about that. And, um, I think even my good friend Todd Clippard, uh, believes it was written. Ooh, I'm scared now. I'm, I don't want to, at the risk of being wrong, I'm still going to tell you what I think. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm not lying. And I'm not slandering. I'm not misrepresenting. But I think Todd believes that um, it it was he, he believes that the age of miracles I think extended past the or extended to the first century, but that Revelation was still about the destruction of Jerusalem and written in the mid '60s. I don't believe the Revelation is about the destruction of Jerusalem. I believe it's about the fall of Rome, but I still believe it was written in the mid '60s. Don't want to get too far into that, but. Um, but remember, as far as the canon of scripture, why is the book of Enoch, uh, not, not in, um, the new Testament or not in the, or not in our Bible? Well, it's because it did not pass muster for the canon of scripture. Listen to this. Uh, first off the quote in Jude does not imply scripture. Okay. Uh, the apostle Paul quotes this, the, the pagan, uh, Epimenides in Titus one twelve, but that doesn't mean that we should give any additional authority to Epimenides writings. He does it again in Athens when debating the philosophers, he talks about certain of your own poets. Well, there are plenty of texts quoted in the old Testament times, which with such references to the to the books of Jasher recorded in Joshua 10, 13 and second Samuel 1, 18, their inclusion means that, and that the part referenced and quoted in script in scripture is scripture because it was brought into scripture, but the rest of the work is not. So the mere quotation of a work does not in and of itself, make it a whole work, make the whole work scripture. You can argue also that, written outside of the book, it is not scripture because the context would defile it. In other words, this, if, if it is the case that the book of Enoch was quoted by Jude, that doesn't make the book of Enoch scripture. That means that the part that Jude quoted was true and he brought it into scripture and it's scripture in so much as it's included in the book of Jude. But if you take it from Jude and put it in the book of Enoch, then it's not scripture because the context of the book of Enoch would defile that 
that passage. And of course, the same is true with Jude 14, 15, uh, quoting from the book of Enoch does not indicate the entire book of Enoch is inspired or even true. All that it means is that particular verse was employed in teaching whatever it was Jude wanted to teach. And I thought I had some, I thought it, man. Okay. I, I did. I've, I, I, my, my research is scattered. Um, I had a paragraph that I wanted to read about the, um, the book of Enoch and why it wouldn't be considered canon. But just think about this in the first century, you're dealing with people who have the gift of discernment and the book of Enoch, the book of Asedris, the book of, uh, Jasher, all of these writings that, that, that were contemporary with the Hebrew Bible. Why weren't they contained in the Hebrew Bible? Well, because these people had direct revelation from God uh, in, in, the, in the Mosaic Covenant. They could go to the high priest, and they had the Urim and the Thummim, and they could say, hey, this, is a, this book of Enoch is contested. Urim and Thummim were, were, were coming before God and asking whether or not this book is inspired or not. And they could get a direct answer from God. So we, again, the, it's, it's very telling that the Jews, the Hebrews, did not add the book of Enoch into their canon. And then once the first century come about where Christians are compiling the scriptures, well, why didn't they include it? Because you had, you had people alive with the gift of discernment. And so you would take this contested book to the people with the gift of discernment and say, hey, is this scripture? And they would either say, well, yes or no. It's weak, weak, weak sauce to say these pseudepigraphal and apocryphal, and apocryphal books should be included in our canon. And it's weak, weak, weak sauce to think that these books that are contained in some places they're contained only in this one particular version of the Ethiopian Bible to say that our Orthodox canon of scripture, the 66 books is wrong just because you think that, well, you can't add to or take away from the word. It doesn't pass muster. The canon of scripture closed at the end of the first century, whether abruptly or whether it kind of just fizzled out. Now, to Jason Goldtrap's question, was Revelation written before or after the fall of Jerusalem? I have heard arguments on both. Um, it, it doesn't matter as far as the canon of scripture being closed, but I will tell you this. We can go to Daniel chapter 7 real quick, and I can give you a, or Daniel chapter 9, and I can give you a brief overview on the 70 weeks and tell you why I think it was that the canon of Scripture was closed at AD 70. Uh, I'm going to read verse 24, starting at verse 24 in Daniel 9. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city 
to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up. The King James says thee, but the thee is not required. And I think some of the more modern translations get it right here. Whenever Daniel seven twenty four says to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, and the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. I'm, I'm not going to get into all of that. But um, at the end of 70 weeks, there was going to be some some phenomenon, some harbinger of the end of sin. So the sin problem is going to be solved. A beginning of righteousness and an ushering in of an age where vision and prophecy is sealed up. It's gone. It's done. Well, that happened with Jesus. Whenever he was sacrificed and crucified on the cross, that that ended the age of miracles effectively. It began that, that period, that infancy stage of the church. And then at, when the 70 weeks were complete, that was the destruction of Jerusalem. And I think that that was the hard cap. And I, I, I have several reasons, several reasons for that. Daniel chapter 7, or Daniel chapter 9, the, the 70 weeks. Daniel 9, the 70 weeks. And like I said, that's I'm, I'm trying not to dig too deep into that because it can go very, very deep very quickly. And we don't have enough time to do it justice. But um, what's his face? Um brother passed away in in 2020 wayne jackson wayne jackson has some really good articles on daniel and his 70 weeks i would suggest you going to the christian courier and checking those out anyway so either one you want to believe whether the age of miracles ended abruptly at 80 70 which would mean that revelation must have been written before 80 70 or whether you believe that the age of miracles gradually ended by a subsequent consequence of the death of the last apostle, which means that the, the age of miracles and the book of Revelation could have been all the way up to A.D. 90-something. Either way, we don't have miracles today, and our canon of Scripture is closed. Um, hopefully that helps some. Hopefully that answered your question. Folks, I think I've got to be done. Um, I really appreciate everybody. I really appreciate all of your comments. Uh, appreciate, I just, well, I, I don't need to start naming people or I'll leave somebody out. But thank you so very much. Remember, I've got the tip jar up, www.nearchurchesatgmail.com. And uh, you can send us a one-time donation there. Uh, you can do a $5 a month donation on Substack. But I would ask you to just go to Substack and sign up for free, and you'll get access to every one of the articles that we do. 
Um, other than that, Christianity Now streams. And don't forget our podcast channel on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Zenus Gill, it's good to see you. So whenever uh, whenever you get off here, go to Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. But we would love to have you subscribe on Substack. And that's all I've got here. God bless. And uh, good to see you, Brandon Wild. Thank you. God bless. It's been Tony Berth Cogitations. And we'll catch you on the flip side.